Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling, and officially your NBA draft podcast for the Rise Podcast Network. Uh, we are here with Rise to bring you everything and anything NBA draft related. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by the great Stone Hansen and the wonderful Cooper Klein. And we are bringing uh, a special guest episode. Um, we've sort of, uh, not as we're recording this, but as this is released, we'll have done our sort of pre-preview of the 2020, 2022 draft, sort of the 20 prospects that we're really kind of putting a stamp on and seeing like these are the developments we're interested to watch. But we're here to talk with the great PD about some developmental context and sort of um, the interesting ways these players can change their stock over the next season before their draft year. Um, PD, of course, is uh, famous on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and everywhere. You can possibly find things. He has a great Patreon, an excellent Twitch uh, stream uh, stream series called Let's Watch Film. That's also on YouTube that I've been on a couple times. Uh, it's he's just an excellent guy, one of the best minds in in sort of draft development space, and also one of the best people. So, PD, my friend, how are you doing? Doing well. I feel like I'm being uh, buttered up for something. Um, excited to see uh, what what is waiting around the corner. Um, uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, excited to fully transition into 2022 um, and, and talk about uh, what promises to be one of the more interesting college seasons we've had in a while and one of the most interesting you know, uh, evaluation cycles. And I say that after, you know, 2020 was an 18 month cycle, 2020 was like a five month cycle. And now we have, you know, uh, four different developmental contexts to evaluate at once. Um, Going to be an interesting. This is tell you what's rating around the corner is just uh, hundreds of northwestern uh, obscure prospects from Bryce. That's that's probably what's waiting. Yeah, all of which that have uh, hit a jumper with Bryce's hand in their face before. So my uh, my only plus two wingspan was the downfall of me. Uh, we could talk about Garrett Stryford all day, but we will not. Uh, that's a poll. That is a poll. I don't even think he's still playing in college, but we will not be doing that. Instead, we are going to just jump right into it. Um, probably for me, and I would say the majority of the people here, the team we're most fascinated to watch, perhaps it's a bit of morbid curiosity for me at least, is Duke this next year, the Duke Blue Devils. Um, Coach K's last hurrah a really impressive recruiting class with the two guys who I would sort of preemptively have at the top of this draft and Adrian Griffin Jr., Paolo Bencaro. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous. I guess that's the best way to put it because, uh, you know, taking my evaluator glasses off, I'm a huge Paolo fan. I want him to put on for Seattle and all that, yada, yada. But as a player, I really worry this Duke context is, is not good for him. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to ask you about PD is how do you think like coach K can handle this mix of talent? Is it going to be another mess like that Zion RJ Barrett Cam Reddish season, um, that was of course made okay in the end because Zion was that good or, or how do you see this sort of collection of talent going and, and Krzyzewski handling it? 
Um, I mean, it, I think this is going to be a year of growing pains. Um, there isn't like a perfect five-man lineup for this Duke team. Um, and I think that there is some overlap between how Paolo is probably used best and how AJ is used best. And I, I think that a lot of how these lineups are going to work is going to depend on guard shooting um, and guard shooting development. But I, I think that the idea that this is necessarily going to click into place early, like obviously you know, these two hyper-talented guys are going to look good, but maximizing them and especially maximizing AJ who hasn't really played basketball in two, like, a, you know, official basketball in, in, in two years um, is certainly going to involve real growing pains. And I think that uh, as much as possible, we should try to be patient um, with this group uh, as, as they kind of try to figure it out. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think something I've tried to learn is to not, because um, this year I've done a lot more high school scouting prior to the draft than I have before. And I'm trying to sort of learn to not put too many expectations on these um, freshman seasons. I still feel like I probably did that too much with Terrence Clark and BJ Boston, even towards the end of last year's draft cycle. Um, but there's definitely going to be some, some moments where I feel like there's going to be guys running into each other. There's going to be a lot a lot of looking lost on defense and I really worry about the spacing. Um, I don't know if Jeremy Roach can, can really step up as a shooter. Trevor Keels sort of a inconsistent shooter from what I've seen. Um, he's sort of the guy who gets billed as this like elite shooter combo guard type player, but I don't necessarily think that's him. Uh, so, so I sort of worry about that. Um, but I, I do think that Paolo is, going to excel as the best passer on the floor um if, if coach k can get him an offense where people are moving and he's gonna be trying to find him on the baseline on cuts such such uh things such as that i just hope he's not always paired with another big i hope we get to see him as the big sometimes um but you mentioned adrian griffin jr missing two years of development uh do you want to maybe PD, do you want to maybe give the people like a bit of a sense of just how good he was as a 16 year old before having these successive leg, leg injuries that have kept him from playing and, and how you think missing out on those two years of playing development might affect him going forward? Yeah, I think that it's hard to separate um, like what was injuries and what was like just choosing to handle the last two years of high school differently. I mean, he uh, you know, the, he had an injury for his, what would be his junior year and then chose not to play for his senior year. Um, and, or he could have been healthy for the second half of the senior, his junior year, which, you know, um, was, was canceled as the, as the pandemic escalated in the Northeast and then just trained, um, with the Raptors or, or trained with his father, who's a coach for the Raptors in Tampa Bay, um, for his senior year. How good he was, um, he played four UIBL games um, as like a kid who I think just turned 16 um, playing up and his shooting splits in those games were, uh, let me see, uh, 58, 63-50. Uh, he took about nine threes per, uh, per 40 and knocked them down at a 63% clip uh, with good for each true shooting of 68. Um, I would say like hysterically dominant is the word considering the, the amount he was playing up and he was the best player on the floor in the tournament he just played before. 
in the summer of 2019 um, for, for Team USA, again, playing four games. Uh, and again, uh, I would say dominating to a level that made it clear that, that like, he was for real. Um, it is really hard to extrapolate from those like eight games to now because we haven't seen him. We haven't seen, uh, you know, aside from uh, the Iverson Classic, we haven't seen him in, in, in official games. We haven't seen, you know, really what sort of player he is, how he's handled, you know, uh, how his feel has improved, how he how he's moving. It's just really hard to you know, have this much developmental time uh, in terms of like minutes played, games played, talk about like game deficit for, for guys like Wiseman. Um, and, and Griffin has a, a, a very serious games deficit. Um, so I think that for me, I, I understand wherever people have him on their big board coming into this or, or have been their projections, um, because that's whether you have him at one, which is where I, I would have had him uh, in this draft uh, if we were talking you know, after that summer or after that Team USA and, and UIBL uh, performances. Um, but if you have him, you know, in the, in the 20s, because you don't know how those things develop and how the, that moves, that is also entirely understandable. So I think that this is going to be uh, fascinating um, to really try to piece together and see how uh, both he reacts and, and evaluators react to his performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the thing I'm hope I'm hoping for most with uh, Griffin Jr. is that just the athleticism is still completely there and he hasn't lost a step because even if if the feel is still a question and he hasn't quite sort of learned how to map defenses like that shooting, that athleticism is still a really special combination. Uh, and he has shipped too as a ball handler. Like this isn't just, this wasn't um, who's the best person to bring up here. This wasn't necessarily like, like Jonathan Kaminga who like, if he did dominate, just dominate because he was bigger and stronger and faster, you know, he had shift, he had a jumper, he could get into the lane and finish. Um, you just, you know, the two years of game reps would have really helped a player like him because he could have developed himself as a passer and as a, as a overall sort of high usage playmaker, rather than maybe sort of a, like a secondary scorer, I guess is, is a projected role. Um, but I'll be interested to see how that develops at Duke. Um, I think, I, I think and wish there were better places for it. Um, specifically because of the guard rotation uh, stone, I want to throw it to you and just ask like, what do you expect this guard rotation to look like? And and do you think there's any way you can like like types of guard lineups that maximize Paolo and, and Griffin Jr.? Man, um, you're coming at me with the toughest question because I think there's really no um, I don't want to say ideal, but like I guess no perfect answer to this question. Um, there's there's really not any one guard on, on Duke that I can definitively say will um, benefit uh, both ben, uh, Paolo and um, Adrian Griffin Jr. So I, I think, um, like you said, Roach is probably in the mix. I don't really want to like <laughs> bet on his shooting at, at all. Um, and uh, like PD was saying, I think shooting is going to really come in play here in what's going to open up for uh, the games for both of them and um, ultimately help uh, continue their, their high draft stocks throughout the college season. So 
I just really don't know who the answer is because um, there, there really isn't an ideal one. So um, maybe somebody, you know, comes out of left field and sort of surprises us and takes a big leap forward as a shooter this season. Um, but there's just nobody on this team that I'm going to bet on to do that at this point in time. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, it's sort of a, it's sort of a tough situation. A part of me hopes they just uh, they play fake, really good shooter Joey Baker and 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 Wendell Moore as the two guards, and just let Paolo be the point guard. Uh, that almost certainly will not happen because, um, much like Trayvon Duvall, Coach K just just has to play has to play point guards that can't shoot. It's just it's in his DNA. Uh, PD, do you have any thoughts on, on the guard rotation and, and maybe like potential NBA guys in it, if there are any? Um, I mean, I think that you will still find people who hold out hope for Wendell Moore. Um, still young for his, his age. It's just there has to be the connecting skill at this point. Um, I think Heels is like will be an NBA guy eventually as the shooting you know, develops. I think that he's like – Six five, he's less than six five. I think. I think he might be a hair smaller than that. Um, uh, I don't think Blake's is, is a guy who steps in and contributes. I think that the the spacing is either going to come from Roach um, connecting his like knockdown ability off the dribble to being able to catch and shoot. Um, that is a, a piece I'm currently working on. Is just the translation between shooting uh, different elements of shooting and. Uh, like Roach, awesome off the dribble and uh, extremely struggled on the catch. And if those can, uh, either if he can leverage the off the dribble shooting completely and, and never, you know, have to really shoot off the catch, that would solve a lot of problems. Or if he, you know, translates even a degree of the uh, off the dribble shooting into into on the catch shooting, we have another um, solution. And then I, th I think that the kind of other option is um, Joey Baker. Uh, being the guy who he could have been like the, the, the guy that I think that like is always kind of threatened to be there as a, as an awful guy. Um, those are the two routes for, I think, optimal spacing. Um, and I would say to me, Roach might be a touch more likely. Um, but that's mostly because I think that uh, if Roach does have that shooting development, I, I think he can go really high up this, uh, up this draft class um, considering where the other point guards are. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, something we won't we don't have a ton of time to hit on, but uh, maybe we'll get to a little bit is sort of the lack of point guard depth in this draft and how there's a real open space for someone like a, a Jeremy Roach or a Caleb Love sort of guys from last year or even, you know, juniors maybe to really step up because teams just as much as I want it to happen there, I doubt we're going to see 28 wings go in the first round of this year's draft. Um, there's going to be some guards taken who might be lower on personal boards um, but because teams just feel guard needy will take those types of players but um, you brought it up PD and this is sort of where I want to end it on I want to ask Coop and then and then PD too like are you guys still Wendell Moore believers because I I was never really a huge Wendell Moore guy other than like I'm like he's you know six five six six with long arms and and uh, like a kind of okay jumper, but I never really bought sort of the scoring ability that some did. So Coop, I'll throw that to you first. Do you, do you still believe in Wendell Moore? Uh, I, I kind of feel like I have to with his, with his size and, and length. Uh, it's exactly the kind of player that 
I just fall head over heels for. But I mean, with just his his production is not is not very much impressed. The jumper has not been, you know, what you've wanted it to be. Uh, I mean, I'll 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 hope for him. I'll hope for the best. But I I don't know if I can if I can be a part of the Wendell Moore uh, fan club anymore. You certainly know Kessler Edwards, uh, PD. How how do, how do you feel about Wendell Moore? Um, how did you feel about him originally, and 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 has have your priors short, sort of changed, or do you still think what you saw originally is there, and, and the Duke context has sort of hurt him? Um, I mean, I think that he was always a guy that like I was more theoretically in on, where it's like this this lines up with a lot of things that I like in prospects, and I like that he was young, and uh, I think. Uh, I think Grip was a person who really pushed me towards him. Um, and the free throw rate got halved from his freshman to a sophomore year. And like, that's really concerning uh, considering that like, you know, he was a guy who physical development was going to be very important to, to his, uh, his theoretical ceiling. Um, if he can have another like 90 point jump uh, in, in three point uh, percentage, like we're certainly talking about a much more interesting prospect. Uh, he went from 21% as a freshman to, to 30% as a sophomore. Um, but the, the lack of explosion, the, the struggles to get fouled in, in, uh, in a more densely packed sophomore year, which I think that the spacing is going to be more similar to his sophomore year than his freshman year. Um, yeah, I, I think that I'm um, solidly off it, but I think that it, he's also going to be a guy where you, the areas where he needs to improve are so clear that it'll be, you'll be able to tell pretty early whether those adjustments have been made or not. Yeah. And I think that's always like, there's, there's sometimes some clear uh, notations of that, like guys with, with clear holes that need to be filled versus someone like a, like a, you know, maybe a Josh Primo who it's a bit more, uh, you have to, you have to kind of throw some darts and, and see where you can, where you can develop him. But uh, I yeah, think Bones they, Island going from a 10%. Uh, uh, 10% free throw rate to like 33 uh, being I, I think the most clear example of like well this changes the uh, yeah this changes the equation yeah you did though you did the the one thing we thought you could never do so now you're a much more uh, palatable prospect um, yeah I mean if if when no more has like a like a 25% free throw rate then absolutely he's probably a first rounder uh yeah, but do do we have anything else on Duke, guys? Uh, I know this is it's just sort of a weird team. Like, I guess that's that's sort of where I'm at. I kind of wish I I really loved what Kate Cunningham did in going to Oklahoma State, not because I hate blue bloods or anything, but because you get to see these guys in more individual roles. Um, and even while OKC. Oklahoma State might not have even been the best context for Cade. I think it really did a wonders for his development by forcing him to shoot, by forcing him to be the guy to score. Um, I I just, this team worries me um, in, in terms of how these guys can develop. Like I think Adrian Griffin Jr. after missing two years really needed a specific type of context. Um, I hope this can be that, but I'm skeptical. So like, do you guys have any kind of final closing thoughts on on this Duke context as a whole? Uh, I did want to jump in and ask uh, PD. So I've seen this idea floated around where in a league where Anthony Edwards went first overall in 2020 and Jalen Green, according to reports, almost went first overall last year. Like what level do you think 
Adrian Griffin Jr. would have to come back at and like show his athleticism and his scoring potential at to like be the number one pick this year. If he shoots like 38% on the types of shots, like the extreme high difficult uh, sidestep, doesn't matter who guards you stuff that he took in, in EYPL across his high school career, along with flashing the uh, the stock stuff he did. Like, I think that that's going to be, um, that's going to be an interesting package. I feel like one thing that we didn't mention that I like is a micro skill that I'm in love with is that uh, one of the reasons why this fit is very strange is that um, it, it it didn't matter who else came, but like uh, in terms of the Patrick Baldwin or, or anyone else who was uh, rumored to, to be joining Duke, but I want to see um, as much of, of Paolo at the five because uh, his freshman year high school uh, um like highlight tape has the best verticality I've ever seen from like a person under the age of 16 and uh, didn't see as much of that, like uh, in the subsequent years of high school from him. Um, partially because he didn't have to do that and just punch it. Um, and I want to see if he can still like ha- be that level of technical verticality guy. Um, and especially if you have um, somebody like uh, somebody like Griffin, who's much more of a weak side shot blocker, that would be, a very interesting combination. It's just getting to those lineups and, and getting to them for extended periods of time. It's going to be a bit of a challenge um, just based on, uh, I think, how Kay likes to play and also like the, the way that the roster is built. Yeah, I definitely think uh, by the time it's it's over, we're still going to have a lot of um, theoretical questions about what type of player Paolo actually is. Um, I, think, I think this is a place where he can showcase his talent but not his role. Um, and that's always sort of an interesting place for a prospect to go. Um, but with that being said, we're going to move on to Memphis. Uh, the Memphis Tigers are just really interesting. Um, this is Penny Hardaway's third season, I believe, as head coach. Um, they've consistently recruited well and then sort of uh, struggled to to kind of live up to hope. Last year, they were interesting. I, I kind of liked their team last year. Um you know, Musa Cisse disappointed, but Damian Ball, my guy, looked excellent at times off the bench. Um, but uh, no, uh, in all seriousness, this the team this year is, of course, getting two top five prospects, um, at least according to like 247 Sports. Uh, that's Jalen Duran and Amani Bates. They also are bringing in transfers like Earl Timberlake, or I guess just Earl Timberlake is the big one. And then uh, they have kind of past guys who have shown things. Landers Nolly the second, Lester Quinones, DJ Jeffries. It's just a really interesting team uh, with a lot of, I, sh- oh, I should also mention Alex Lomax as well. I, I probably shouldn't forget him uh, as many often do. Um, but like this team is just really interesting. It's just really interesting from a roster construction standpoint. It's really interesting from a prospect development standpoint. Um, and it's really interesting from a, how polarizing these prospects are. Uh, standpoint I don't think there's one of these prospects you could possibly reach consensus on um, except for maybe Landers Nolly the second um, but aside from that uh, it's pretty up in the air so PD I want to ask you starting at the top what do you expect from Jalen Duran this freshman year at Memphis do you think this context makes much sense for him at all or are you worried about this hurting his development or draft stock How, what are you expecting from Duran is a fascinating question. Um, I think that 
part of what made uh, uh, what made Jalen so uh, interesting as a prospect is is that he like developed the passing at Montford and, and like I think uh, really worked on on the consistent approach. Um, you know, he was a a guy who would play like much harder in big games and, and have you know the tendency to to float a bit in, in lesser ones. And I feel like that that got better during the Montford year. Um, I think that I think that it's it's difficult because the question of what his if this is a good developmental context or not depends on how much freedom you think that this archetype generally should have. Because if you think that like the best thing for for uh, for Jalen Duran is is to uh, explore the studio space to to you know space out to three to to get as much offense run for them as possible, make a ton of decisions, you know, while holding things down as as a as a five, then like this context makes makes a good deal of sense. I think that if you wanted to see more rim running and playing as a component, like a, a component piece within a larger scheme, this necessarily doesn't. So I think that this idea of like, does this context make or not make sense very much depends on how you believe that this archetype should be developed. And uh, the rest of this roster also having um, developmental questions does make that much more difficult. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Uh, I I really don't know how I want Duran developed. Um, it's it's a it's a tough question. Um, it it really depends how how like real you you believe the flashing to uh, the passing to be and, and to what level you think he can get to. Um, I like this context better than I like say like Onyeko Kongwu at USC, um, but. I, I still think like he would really benefit from playing with a guard, um, you know, maybe not Boogie Ellis, which, uh, which Memphis lost to USC, but a, a real guard who could get him to his spots where he could then explore the studio space from then from there. I, I worry Duran is going to be asked to create a lot in, um, in sort of tight spaces. And, and I'm not quite sure where he can get to with that, but I, I think this could be good for his development, if not, good for his stock if that makes sense like i think there's a chance this hurts his his stock in the draft and we're like oh well he has all these queer flashes and but he you know he averages six turnovers to four assists or something like that's probably too high but like like he has he sort of has like bad moments but i think it could be good for him to learn to sort of expand his game and and play with a certain type of um ball skills and and just really see the levels and push the thresholds he can get to um and i actually you know if there's one thing about this memphis this memphis context that i kind of like it's that i think the spacing will be fine um so you know what if you get to rent some space and and he gets to explore the studio the the studio that way i i kind of like that a little bit though like i said i i think it'll probably hurt his his stock because i i there's going to be some moments where you where he's he's gonna have some really bad games, I think, where he's asked to do too much and he doesn't quite have that in his game at this point. Um, but I think there are gonna be some moments where he really shines. He is very athletic and um, he plays with with some real intensity. Uh, you know, sometimes that can be a a uh, um, sometimes that doesn't matter, but sometimes it does. I guess is the simple way of putting it. And I think Duran, as a big player who plays with some intensity, can really help him out defensively if he can use his his really really impressive physical tools um but you know we talked about your question really quick yeah go ahead um if if lomax is off the court 
who are the five that you're putting on to get maximum spacing? Assuming that that it's you know Duran and Amani, who are the other three to get maximum spacing? Ooh, um, well, I, I'd probably say Nolly and Quinones, even though those guys aren't like they're not excellent shooters. Uh, and there's definitely some issues with um, with with Nolly. Uh, not taking the shots he should and instead always wanting to dribble in uh, a couple steps and, and take a really, a really disgusting anti-Mori ball looking mid-ranger. Um, I don't know. I guess you're right. Like without Lomax, that's maybe a little tough. Um, I like. Yeah, uh, yeah. It appears your choices are, are, are Timbo, DeAndre Williams, or Chandler Lawson. Um, assuming that, that Josh is going to be a touch farther away. Can, you don't want to put... You don't want to put three freshmen on the floor at the same time without your veteran point guard. Is, is sort of my thinking there, but yeah, maybe. Can I cheat and just say John Camden? He he shoots right. He's 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 uh, he's he. Yeah, that's that's my answer. Three freshmen on the floor. Uh, yeah, there we go. No one, not one good decision maker out of the lot. Um, but you know, speaking of point guards, uh, there's been much made of Amani Bates as a soon-to-be point guard um, for the Memphis uh, Tigers. So that throws me off to say Memphis Tigers. Um, So what can we expect from Amani this year? Much of anything, uh, huge inefficiencies. What are, what are, do you think we're going to see? And what are you hoping to see that like would warm you up to, to his development being positive PD? I think that I would want to see a variety of usages. Um, Amani has been in, in ball dominant situations basically throughout um, from, you know, the, the youngest that we've really seen him through, you know, with the exception being of, of team final where he played a little bit more off ball. Um, and I think that I would want to try to see some of his shooting versatility explored. You know, obviously he can shoot off the catch and he can shoot off, uh, off some pretty intense um off the dribble combinations but i want to see how much movement there is i want to see you know how much that can be leveraged um just trying to see in as much different context as possible um i thought that at times memphis's offense could be static um and i think that that would be a, a, a negative developmental context for amani because we just want to see something that's as different from from where he's come from uh historically so i think that Figuring out ways of, of leveraging his softball gravity, um, hopefully giving him cleaner catches to make. Uh, you know, I, I think that his his passing is best um, reading a tilted defense and, and hoping to, to leverage um, the, the passing development he's had in the last eight months or so that way. That would be the the, the top priority for me is just not having everything be a high screen or, or or one four flat and trying to, you know, get him as many clean looks as possible off the ball. Yeah, and I actually think. Jalen Duran can help with that a lot. And I, I, I do love the fit with those two. It's just sort of the rest of the roster that worries me. Um, I'm going to throw this one to Stone first. Stone, what do you expect from uh, Jalen Duran specifically defensively? Uh, and, and, and what are you hoping to see that would maybe um, warm you up to him being a potential top five pick? Oh, boy. Um <laughs> I'm I'm pretty pretty out on him as a top five pick right now, so it would take a lot. But defensively speaking, what I would expect from him is um, some pretty high level rim protection, like um, 
I think he's going to be uh, uh, somebody who um, is able to hopefully have some um, decent ground coverage, like a guy who uh, what I want to see and what will happen kind of overlap here um, in terms of him, I think, being able to, to make some pretty intriguing ground coverage plays uh, as a rim protector. And then um, it's probably not going to happen, but I would like to see some like increased mobility. And, and obviously we all want to see like switchability from bigs. I'm not really sure that's within Duran uh, at this point in time, but um, I think, you know, if he can really hone in at being a rim protector and, and really get himself to an elite level, um, I think that there's, it's only going to help his stock for this year. Um, but I'm really interested to see how he, um, especially as like a help defender, um, how he's able to read the help defense properly, I guess, um, because I, I have concerns that possibly he's going to be one of those guys that over helps a bit um, and then leaves his man, you know, go into the rim in a short roll or something like that. So I want to see him play the help um, in smart ways. Yeah. Uh, I thought he looked pretty like solid positionally defensively at Montverde. Um, but some of that could obviously be uh, Montverde has a pretty insane development staff. I feel like uh, they're constantly making guys better yeah i feel like you don't always see that from high school teams um it's sort of high school sort of all a showcase sometimes and then um they it, it's about college and and what they do sort of in their off time to get better but i really thought that um he developed a lot positionally at montverde um do you have any expectations for uh amani defensively like i i know there's a lot of talk that amani um uh, is just straight up not really a good defender right now um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily all an effort thing, but he looks like he really struggles to get down in a stance. Um, very slow side to side. Uh, I think a, an even wingspan or like a plus one wingspan. Um, what do you need to see from Amani to like help you sort of uh, ease some of those worries about him defensively? Um, I think... Uh an uptick in, in the ability to, to read off ball with, with stocks um, and just being like getting rangier um, through, you know, developing within uh, a college system, but also like mobility is going to be the first thing that I'm looking for uh, before anything else. You can be as high field of a player defensively as you'd like, but if you're struggling to sit in a stance and, and absorb contact within a stance, um, things are going to be pretty difficult to, for you and your very much confined to defending uh, certain positions. Yeah, I, I sort of wonder if your optimal role for Amani is going to be as a as almost a pure four defensively, where you try not to ever have him involved in an on ball action, and hopefully he can be a solid second side rim protector and and uh, and and sort of get some steals. He is a like I think Amani is a solid court mapper. Um, I'll be interested to see if he can do that off ball because he's literally never had to do that in his whole life um but he, like i think he does see the floor okay on both ends he just sometimes i think he has a physical inability to get where he needs to go um i i could not tell you how to fix that if it's even possible but uh i i think it'll be interesting 
Um, before we move on to sort of picking uh, the most interesting out of a out of a group, I want to ask Coop just really quickly. Um, they are in the the conference of your Houston Cougars. I just want to know, like, what are you looking for? at memphis like i don't know if you'll get to see him live but like like what are you hoping to see out of these guys in as a developmental context where you can uh hope to see them see, see them grow of course amani might be here two years so like what are you hoping to see out of them uh well with duren specifically i'm hoping to see i really liked his his passing when he was already placed into an advantage position when he didn't have to create the bend in the defense himself I thought he made really nice reads out of those uh, positions, especially in transition or when he drew, like drew help. I thought he looked really nice in those situations, but if he has to make a pass where he's not like the center of the movement of like the, the action, uh, I was, that's kind of what I would like to see is his passing in situations where the read isn't always super clear or the objective isn't always super clear. Uh, and with Amani, I just want to see him be able to like create real <laughs> advantages. That sounds a bit broad, but like as a passer, and I really want to see him, uh, you know, develop into something other than a shooter or add some real, you know, some more, uh, some more like off ball as you know, like, like, like you guys were talking about, I want to see him like add some first, what's the word slip in my mind, but like add just more options for things he can do other than, you know, and especially if, if you can see that development over two years where they're actually working with him on that and not just like throwing him into the fire and asking him to do it. If you can see a clear step up from year one to year two, if he's still there, I think that would be what I'm most looking out for. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, PD, do you have any sort of uh, final thoughts on, on what you're hoping to see from Memphis as a whole as a development context? We haven't talked much about Penny as a coach, um, and I honestly haven't watched enough Memphis to really give my gauge on that. Um, so, like, are, are, are there any holistic things you're really looking for out of Memphis this year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Rashid Wallace is is perhaps, like, one of the four most underrated basketball geniuses ever um, in terms of like just how smart he was. He sort of gets remembered as a technical foul guy and that's about it, but he was uh, so much more. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I, I just want to see, I just want to see these guys put in spots to succeed. I really worry about the roster fit, but I think there is some shimmers of hope for, for how this roster fits together, specifically for Amani being forced to play off ball for, Duran getting some usage that I really like. As you mentioned, Timberlake is a cutter. I, I think there's even an opportunity for Timberlake to be the advantage creator. I, I thought there was maybe some passing upside with him just as someone who can really get downhill. Uh, we didn't really see that too much at Miami, um, but I, I I like Timberlake. I'm, he's Of course I do. Timberlake is is very strong and, and looks like he weighs a lot for his height. So, you know, of course that's my type of guy. But um, I, I'm hopeful for that. And speaking of, of Timberlake, I just want to ask you guys, before we move on to uh, my neck of the woods, I want to ask you guys, who are you preferring out of uh, Timberlake, Nolly, Quinones, and DJ Jeffries in terms of, like, who interests you the most? Who do you think uh, has the most interesting NBA upside, even if none of, them, none of them are really NBA guys, or even if you think 
multiple RNBA guys. Who interests you the most that you're most excited to see? Uh, PD, I'll throw that to you first. Uh, yeah, Earl Timberlake. Um, it, it is going to be fun. Um, I, I think that this uh, might be a better context um, than, than the Miami one was for him. And uh, if he, he is a, a, a real if he shoots guy, um, I think there's a lot of interesting connecting skills and, and the idea of him uh, with with the uh, passing uh, of Duran is certainly something that I am excited about, uh, especially if that's as a four or five pairing with shooting surrounding them. Yeah, um, I'll mix it up here because I, I probably would go Timberlake as well, but I do really like Lester Quinones as well. Uh, maybe it's just me wanting to see more short shorts in the NBA, but I think he's um, <laughs> become like you pd mentioned like who's going to be the the other shooters around um and i think kenyonis like has to be in those shooter type lineups he's he's probably the best of this bunch this best bet of this bunch at least to to really um be, be any sort of threat uh in that specific area i think um the free throw rate obviously took a hit last year so i'd like to see that go up a little bit again um, but he did take a big step forward in terms of being a three-point shooter. Um, defensively, I'd like to see him be like a better off-ball defender. That's something he's always sort of struggled with, um, just being more of you know one of those guys who sort of just uh, gets stuck ball watching or or doesn't necessarily make the the right rotations or the right timing or anything. So, if I could see more help defense from him and the free throw rate go up, then I wouldn't count out him being like um somebody that i would look at it with like a super late pick in the second uh very very promising endorsement uh that stone might look at him with the super late pick in the second round um coop uh it's slim what, it's slim but i would like well i will say though i mean like to be a top six to pick in any draft. And we're such draft nerds that like if you're in our top 100 like odds are we love you so um coop uh, do you want to tell us who you think is the most interesting out of these guys? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Landers Nolly, I think, is my favorite. I like his uh, I like his name a lot. <laughs> but, um, I like uh, I really like his size and, you know, seeing him scale back his role a little bit, but seeing his percentages go up like by a pretty, a pretty solid amount this past season, I was pretty encouraging because it's the kind of stuff you'll need to do at the next level. Uh, not exactly sure about what much else he does. I mean, the rebounding isn't awful, but, you know, he's six seven. You're kind of expected to rebound a little bit more at that size. But I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year and if he, like, what, where his role will be, uh, you know, as compared to where it was the last few years, especially with the influx of talent that they've had. I really liked Nolly after that one season at Vautech. I had him as a lottery guy, and then he transferred instead. And um, I, I watched a little closer last year, and I was like, why did I like Landers Nolly? Um, he, he is a talented shooter, and he's a big body, and I think that's what I really liked is that, like, that combination. It's just it's, – it's my weakness. But uh, I'll, I'll second Earl Timberlake um, and just say he's – it, it, like PD said, it, if he shoots, he is probably an NBA player. And that's even, that's more than I could say for anyone else on this list. I think um, if, if he shoots like, like a, a legit clip, he's probably a 
borderline first rounder with his combination of athleticism feel and shooting which you know isn't necessarily going to happen uh but we're going to move on to gonzaga and we're going to try and go a little quicker uh we might not get to everything we had listed but that's okay because the duke and and memphis con uh conversations were great but gonzaga is fascinating for me uh obviously they're right they're about an hour from where i'm at i'm hopeful to get up to the kennel for a couple games uh i that'll be awesome the the kennel is nuts and um getting to see these guys up close after a year of not getting to watch any sports is going to be a special experience but the big the big guy they got is also a big guy and that's chet holmgren um i believe the highest rated recruit to ever go to gonzaga and it's not particularly close um he's number one on a lot of rsci sites seven one center with with legit passing flashes um i think sometimes gets over portrayed on offense but still underrated defensively where he is one of the most cerebral shot blockers i've ever seen at his age um but the question is sort of what is his optimal role obviously on this team there's drew timmy uh no more Amar bio but uh they have other centers they could probably try and fill in um what do you think chet's optimal role is here pd um yeah this is this is a roster like I, I, I think that it's not entirely different from um, some of the constraints of Memphis. They just have a little bit more options in terms of solutions. If that makes sense, um, because like there are, um, like, it is certainly possible to play. You know, Timmy and Holmgren together and have to go well, um, but it's not necessarily going to be simple, um, especially offensively where. I think that spacing Chet out to three automatically isn't necessarily the best way to use him. Um, and um, you don't always want, you do not want someone who is as high-waisted and as uh, thin to uh, face a, a loaded up defense. And the, the beautiful thing about Gonzaga is they're going to run really, really, really high level offense to give him as easy as it looks as possible. Also, you know, for the touches he does get, uh, there's always going to be a weak side action to clear they're going to give him a lot of counters out. And, you know, you have Timmy, who's uh, approaching Killian Tilly College cheat code levels of, of efficiency. Um, uh, if we could turn injuries off, Killian, uh, Killian would have had one of the wilder uh, college careers of all time. But, um, yeah, I, I think that you're going to, to need to find a balance between like, the isolation stuff you can't do. Uh, the high-low flashes, you're definitely going to want to have with two of them. Um, along with probably running uh, a reversal pick and rolls for when he does flash high-low, having him pop out uh, uh, above the break and then either having that be a catch-and-shoot or, or you know, actually having that flow into something. So I think that he is going to be a guy who you don't want to isolate his, his usage um, and you want to keep him on the move as much as possible. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to be running a ton, ton of pick and rolls um, because while his passing is solid, um, you can put him under pressure. Um, and, and he, while well, he does have solid reads, he's not a, a, a manipulator as a, as a pick and roll guy. Um, this team has enough people who can run a pick and roll. Um, I assume we're going to talk about Hunter Salas specifically later. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's enough here to, to feel good about this being an optimal usage without overloading one specific area of his you know, versatile game. That's that's sort of what I'm hoping for too. It's similar to what you mentioned with Amani, and and honestly, I feel like we can say this for a lot of prospects. Where you just want to see them do a lot of different things. Um, 
I hope they do play a lot in transition and that's where he gets uh, a lot of his usage. Um, a part of me worries that last year's transition team was somewhat a product of Jalen Suggs and that they might slow down without him. Not that Gonzaga doesn't play fast. They they have in the past and they can't do that. But um, I hope they still play with a lot of energy, a lot of up and down, uh, because I think Chet really thrives there. Um, and, and as does Timmy and, and potentially Hunter Salas as well. Uh, I, I want to see him constantly in movement as well i think that's going to be the best thing for him uh i i worry about him running stagnant pick and rolls as a role man ever because i just i don't think he can set a good screen i don't think he can really catch a lob um you know in the short roll he might be okay but i'd rather get him moving and, and trying to get him either downhill or um with some some sort of horizontal actions or whatever it may be um uh, but you mentioned hunter salas and i just I think their guard rotation is going to be really interesting. Um, I'm a, I'm a really big Hunter Salas guy. He's one of my uh, favorite guys in this draft. I saw him, I want to say when he was 16 and I was really impressed by just the fluidity with the burst he has. So PD, what are you expecting from Salas this year? Um, are, are you, are you a fan of his as well? Um, what, what do you think he can look like specifically in this offense? I think that, the last part is the part that I would like to say on just in this offense. Um, he has, uh, I would say, a very similar game to, to Jalen Suggs, not physically, but they both have the exact same limitation, which is that they really struggle to dribble. Um, Suggs, you know, uh, obviously was a, a, a stronger built guy. Um, Salas has been someone that I viewed more as a, like, a, a complementary guard rather than a, a person you want to be able to, to get to spots. And that's why I think Rasir Bolton and Nemhard are, are, are perfect for him. Um, Pickman in, in time, um, when, you know, if, if Salas turns for a sophomore year, um, fits well. And, and, you know, I've, I've been a person who's like Dom Harris for, for a while now. Um, they have a, a lot of guard options. And I think that that does limit um, how much ball handling you are, will expect Salas to do um, as a primary ball handler against pressure. Um, how much do you buy the shooting? Like, what level of shooter do you believe Salas to be? Because to me, if, if the handle is not to, you know, um, primary guard levels, then his ability to be a, a one-and-done guy um, in, in that lottery range is going to revolve around how much you trust the jumper. The shooting is really interesting with Salas. I, I can't tell you numbers. I always struggle to get, like, good AAU and high school numbers. But um, he looks... He looks more, he's one of those guys who looks more comfortable in, in sort of pull-up situations, specifically in the mid-range. It looks sort of like that step back kind of hurts him. Um, I I just, I, I'm not sure. I think I buy his shooting to um, maybe like a similar level that I that I sort of bought, um, maybe like, like Jaden Springer's pre-college shooting. And I was sort of lower on Springer coming into last year before his time at Tennessee. Um, I thought he was probably a two and done guy. Uh, but I, I think specifically if, if he can get some really good passes and this, and, and this Gonzaga team can really pass, um, I think he can shoot. Uh, it just, I, I'm not comfortable projecting what level that is yet. Uh, I would say, he needs some work on it specifically. I mean, he's, he's really skinny still and um, skinny guys have very specific mechanics um, that, that um, tend to, to plague a lot of them. Uh, so I, you know, I'm hoping to see 
some potential physical development and that might help the the jumper specifically in his legs um, where he just he doesn't always look like he's generating enough power uh, but I, I'm not super confident in it but I, I I also think that if it hits he's a really really interesting sort of wing guard hybrid type prospect because he is six five he is very athletic and um, even without the handle he does manage to get downhill so uh, that that's kind of where I'm at on on Salas as a as a shooter and player um, but with that being said uh, do you do you guys have any have any Hunter Salas or Chet Holmgren thoughts. I know those are, especially Holmgren is someone who is at the top of a lot of draft boards. Um, I'm not, I'm not all the way up there yet, but I, I understand why people are. He's a really interesting prospect. And then Salas is a guy who I think is a bit more underrated, but I, I really like this Gonzaga context for him. I think it'll get him playing the way he needs to. So um, Stone, how, how are you feeling about those guys? Um, I, I guess I'll start with Holmgren for me. Um, I really am a Holmgren believer. Uh, I really like what he can do. <clears throat> I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of he's probably best utilized offensively if he's consistently moving. Um, I think that needs to be sort of the key for him during the season. Um, it's just keeping him uh, consistently moving and not, not just like standing in a corner um, because I think that's, that's how he's best utilized defensively. I really have no concerns about any sort of rim protection translating, um, whether it be at the collegiate level <clears throat> or the NBA level. I think he's going to be uh, just fine as a rim protector because he, he is uh, truly elite in, in that specific area. Um, and, you know, like we, we, we've talked in the past of like the, the nuances that go into certain the micro skills that go into different things. And, and Chet really has all of that when it comes to shot blocking and rim protection, like he's consistently tracking the ball on the defensive end and knowing where it's at. So he can be in position to, um, to, to protect the rim. And then offensively it's um, it'll be interesting with Timmy because I'm not really sure. Um, I guess I'm just not really sure. Like, where Chet uh, best fits in terms of um, he's not a guy that you probably are going to be running pick and rolls with, but then at the same time, um, I'm not, uh, I guess off ball is sort of what he's going to have to be doing. And I'm not um, completely sold on him as like an off ball movement shooter or anything yet. So it's, there's a lot of ways you can use him, but I, I'm really interested to see. Um, <clears throat> and then with, uh, with Hunter Silas, I think, he, I really like him a lot too. I was watching him today actually. And I, I just really like, um, in terms of the athleticism, like it's, it's very, um, <clears throat> like you said, he, he doesn't have the handle, but like he's so fast and so quick and athletic that at times he, he doesn't even need it um, just because he can get past his competition at this speed. Um, obviously, you, you know, it's, I'm not saying, I'm not a proponent of not <laughs> working on your handle, but um and then I think, uh, yeah, the shooting is is interesting. And I'm kind of right there with you in terms of I'm not really um, sure how it's going to project at this point in time. Like, he's no Ty Ty Washington, but he is a guy who I think um, can play off ball. Um, he's not a guy who would necessarily be, like, completely out on playing off ball and, and getting him those sort of reps. Because like you said, this this passing is so good on this team that there's going to be opportunities for him to get like wide open shots. So 
if you can sort of maximize that and get him comfortable um, as the season progresses and goes on and he can take more difficult shots, then I think um, there's a real chance for Hickman to go, or excuse me, uh, Silas to go um, first round, so. Yeah, PD, what do you, what do you think of, of Salas's handle? Like, like, I know you said it's not good, but do you think it's the same issue that Suggs had where it's sort of small hands combined with sort of a lack of hip flexibility? Or, or what do you think is causing him to be such a bad ball handler? Because he definitely looks like he should be uh, shifty. Maybe that's just, again, like a skinny guy thing in me that I or that I see a skinny guy. And I think he should be shifty, but he doesn't look inflexible in his hips to me. It's just it just looks like he has no moves. Um, so, so what do you think it is? Do you think it's a developable at all? I think that some of it is that he just like there's not that degree of just like wiggle um like he has some flexibility but just like he doesn't explode out of his moves obviously adding posterior chain development is going to be important for him to just like get out of moves like his cross just isn't as explosive as he would need it to be to to sell it at that frame and the other thing is that he just struggles in smaller spaces um so the combination of of sort of having difficulties with with like selling uh, um, you know each and every move consistently with with wiggle and being a little bit uncomfortable when things get tight because of you know high hips and just general core instability uh makes for a tougher combination uh i think that that's also what makes this fit you know just just great for him is that he you know that can be scaled as needed so as it develops um, you know, as, as uh, the center of gravity gets slower, as the wiggle develops, whether it's this year or next year or whatever, um, they can scale more on ball. Um, and, and, you know, this is certainly a, uh, a level of, of handle that they're, they've gotten good results out of before. Like, no one's going to say, like, Joey, I had fantastic handle, but he got everywhere he needed to go within the system. Um, so I, I think that he's going to look good regardless of how much it develops, it's just how much it develops is, is going to be a matter of projection going forward. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're in the same spot there. Um, so I, I will go, we'll try and go through this quickly, but I want to talk about three returners and one freshman, uh, Anton Watson, Dominic Harris, Julian Strother, Nolan Hickman. These are four guys that um, in their high school year, I was high on them, higher on them. The RSCIs were, um, I, I've always thought like, Gonzaga does a great job at that. Just they always tend to grab guys who I like lower than or, or higher than where they're actually ranked. Um, Anton Watson has had a little bit of a difficult developmental path in his freshman year. He was injured a lot and then he kind of came back. He looked a, a little out of shape and, and really stiff his sophomore season, but still flashed some of the passing that that really intrigued him early. Dominic Harris is just a pretty, pretty good nutty uh athlete as a two guard with some with some real shift uh julian strother is a, just a wing i like who does a lot of good things and nolan hickman is is one of the more pace like pace based point guards uh i've seen coming out for his age he's just really poised and and he runs a really really solid pick and roll do you have any expectations for any of these guys pd are there any of them that you that you really like as potential future nba guys um who, who are you looking out of these for so I really like Strother um, coming out of Samoa. You know, he's if you are a person who believes in in uh, floaters and, and sort of like funky finishes as, as touch indicators for shooting development, then Strother was a wing you were interested in. Um, he did not play enough to make his freshman numbers like super meaningful um, in terms of, of of volume. 
I think that adding strength and, and explosiveness will give him alternate pathways to score when it doesn't have to be sort of like flip shots and, and runners because the jumper is still a work in progress. Um, Watson, I don't know how it looks after the injury recovery. Um, that's a that's a question mark that I just like don't have insight to, um, and I haven't, you know, really seen going forward. I think those are the two that I would say are the best bets. I mean, again, like a wing at, at all costs, but with Watson, it, it's so much harder to, to suss out, and I feel most comfortable talking about um, where where Strother is. Um, how many minutes do you think Strother plays? Like, that, I feel like that's a fair question. Like, what? Is he, he was at 15% of total minutes last year. Is it going to be closer to like 30 or 40 or 50? Like what level is his involvement this year? It's it's hard to answer. Like, I think there's a world, at least for me, if I was building this team out, I, and this is me, like, I'm just very high on Strother. I've always thought he could shoot. I've always liked the funky finishing, the passing, the, the handle. Like I've just, I've always liked Julian Strother. Um, I would consider starting him. Uh, I he, They probably don't. He probably comes off the bench. Um, determining how many minutes he gets is really tough because they're just – they're kind of full of, of guards that, that want to touch the ball. I think Strother is sort of best served with the ball. I could see him maybe filling a Joel, Joel AI uh, role off of it. Um, that, I think, is sort of the biggest hope. What I do think makes some sense is uh, he's maybe like – the best wing on the roster like true wing uh dominic harris is a little smaller um julian strother is far from like a big wing but i i think there's a clear path to minutes for him um i hope he gets closer to 50 percent of the you know minutes or something like that especially if he's healthy um we'll just see but i, I think i think there's a real path to him adding a lot of value to this team both in them winning and also for his own draft stock and development so i'm i'm hoping it's quite a bit but i, I i'm not super confident and i and i feel that same way for dominic harris where i'm just i like i think there's a clear pathway two minutes but i'm just not sure how they're going to value the guards they have on the roster um you know two of these guys nolan hickman and dominic harris might like be in direct contention for for sort of backup minutes. So, um, how how do you see that going, PD? I think Harris has a little bit more of an uphill battle for minutes. Um, I, I, I think that that because uh, if 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 Watson is healthy, there's just less minutes available at that guard spot. Um, where I can definitely see if, if Watson's not healthy or, or Strother has uh, not as much shooting development as needed, that they can just go guards all the time, knowing that, that Timmy will rebound like crazy and that, that Chet is, you know, um, I want to say like a, a generational um, uh, a shot blocker and timing, but like unfortunately he exists in the draft year between Evan Mobley and before Victor Wamiyama. So it's really hard to say like generational and then, you know, say the things I would say fast about those two guys so i mean I, I think that that's certainly a feasible strategy for them and i don't know how comfortable they're going to be going three guards obviously receiver being older offer, offers that strength component but the the young guys they have don't really have the ability to flex on wings unless um you know it's in conference and they're playing a lower level opponent yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i'm hopeful we see some nolan hickman minutes um i don't know like he'd probably have to really impress but i think there is a chance for that if he is that good um i've played nolan hickman a couple times uh so i'm really hoping for the best um I yeah mean, I yeah think it, i think there are definitely circumstances where hickman outplays salas and, and earns 
those minutes. Like, I, I don't think that's entirely out of the question. Um, you know, Hickman really, really developed that senior year of high school. Um, and Hick, Hickman is also like, like, if he continues developing on that shooting trajectory he's on, is becomes really interesting as a potential best guard in this in this upcoming draft. And generally, if you're the best guard in a draft, you start to look like a lottery pick. So um, I just like I, I really buy a lot of the Hickman. Um, just just that pick and roll play is just it's really rare for a player his age. I feel like I just maybe it's just this new age of, of combo guards and jumbo, jumbo creators that we just rarely see it anymore. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like a Nolan Hickman level pick and roll at his age is just not something we commonly see. Now he's generally got to do that with good talent, you know, obviously like like Paolo Banchero and and I believe teammate uh, current teammate Caden Perry he's played with for Rotary um and and uh those guys are obviously excellent AAU type role guys but uh I just I really like Hickman and I think I think he has a chance to adapt to the college game really quickly and uh really kind of like potentially start for this team at at high leverage minutes at the end of the season so um that that's probably like I'd give that maybe like a 15% chance of happening but it's not completely out of the realm of possibility um Coop do you have any thoughts on on these uh four guys we've sort of touched on um are there any that really stand out to you as someone you like as a future NBA guy uh the one guy who's really stood out was Strother uh I really liked his stuff in limited minutes you know all the numbers are really small sample size but I think he was pretty intriguing. Uh, I'm hoping, yeah, like, like you guys were saying, he'll be able to fill that a Yai role and just kind of be able to be an offensive glue guy where he's able to just play on or off the ball where need be spot up and shoot or cut just whatever the other guys on the floor, you know, need around them. I'm hoping he's really able to fill that role this year for them and impress. And then, you know, well, yeah, he didn't get drafted. That was out of his own choosing. But, uh, you know, just like build his own stock off of being able to do a lot of different stuff, you know, for a team that has maybe not guys that only do a couple of things, but has very specific needs from its top players. Um, can I just quickly give a shout to my Pacific Northwest guy, uh, which is Ben Gregg, uh, who I think definitely earned real minutes on this team don't get me started um but yes i i do i do enjoy ben greg um he is uh okay if i say sneaky athlete i'm getting kicked off the pod so we're not going there um stone what do you think of 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 these four guys here and is there one that stays out to you um yeah uh yes i'm I, I do like Strother. Um, I think if he can cut like Ayayi did and continually finish like he has in high school, then it's a really interesting player that um, I would take fairly high. But uh, I, I'm really interested to see what Nolan Hickman does on this team if he can get minutes. I think he um, really intrigues me, um, especially as a passer. Like he's obviously playing with great talent, like with Paolo, but he was um some of the passes he was throwing was like complete needle threaders so um if he's able to get consistent minutes on this team um I I think he's got a real opportunity to play uh with some interesting pick and roll partners and make himself look pretty good 
Um, so I'm I'm uh, pretty in on on Hickman this year uh, if he can get minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with that we're gonna move on and we're gonna we were gonna talk about Michigan. I just don't think we're gonna have time. Uh, I'll say it quickly. Uh, Caleb House or Houston, uh, very good shooter, six eight. Um, but that's uh, about it. Um, I'm interested to see how he develops. Diabate is is one of my favorite like like swing guys in this draft you know i think if he is a one and done it's he goes very high and you know unless he's one of those like choose to be undrafted type guys or if he's not a one and done then then uh something probably went pretty wrong and he didn't play much uh kobe buffkin freaky collins are interesting guard prospects specifically buffkin um is, is big but but definitely has a real like point guard s candle and uh also you super know, young. very young and and a lefty so you know like there's always something there too right uh and then frankie collins uh so we're gonna talk about the g league ignite now uh just really quickly but before we do that i just want to say like every every hardy game i watched that also had frankie collins like i like frankie collins stood out more to me um just uh hardy shoots a lot hardy shoots a lot and he shoots with a lot of difficulty um, and he hits a lot. I mean, he is a very legit shooter, but um, I like Frankie Collins as sort of a, a game managing point guard. I'd say, I'd say John Stockton-esque, but uh, I don't want to talk about anti-vaxxers on my pod. So we're not going to do that. Um, uh, uh, PD. So we're going to talk about the G League Ignite um, and specifically Jaden Hardy. Uh Jaden Hardy, like I just mentioned, with Frankie Collins, like had to play. He in in high school and AAU, he, he played with the ball in his hands all the time, like in the Monty Bates type, where it's a lot of difficult shots. Um, he's a really good athlete, but he doesn't always get to the rim because uh, he just he really likes to take pull up jumpers. Um, so I want to ask you two things: Do you think he is the level of of sort of athletic scoring guard of the last two? You know. Uh, 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 um, Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards. Do you think he's on that level as a prospect? Um, and do you think this Julie context is going to help him develop or help him boost his stock? Or, or how do you think it's going to look for him uh, playing with the Julie? I mean, I think that the, the first question is like, I don't think that he's going to have the ball in his hands um, necessarily as much as, as those guys did during their pre-draft season because Scooter is on this team and, and Scooter is... is uh, if not the, um, you know, a, a 1A, 1B point guard prospect in, um, that's not currently in the NBA with him and DJ. Um, so I, I think that having him as a two is certainly going to, um, they're having him as, with, as a split ball handler is certainly going to, to give him more circumstances to, to not have to settle for the, the tough, uh, extremely deep threes. And instead just getting a, a, a better general shot quality and uh, improving, um, improving just the the process to which he scores. Um, I think that the, the the talent to score is undeniable, but winnowing down the possessions where no read is made and he simply just takes takes to make a shot that there's not really defense for, um, isn't really something that is feasible at the next level, um, or even at the the, the G League level. It's it's about you know trying to to craft as much playmaking processing, trying to, to make defenses make decisions. So that way when he does flash out of deep shooting, defenses have to adjust and you know, counter that against the ability to, to hit skips and, and really, you know, threaten the defense in multiple ways. Um, I don't think he's that, that level of prospect. Um, the, the shooting is obviously 
it's not the question mark because he's a very good shooter. It's just that what value do you put the shooting at? Um, is the is he a guy who is an elite shooter who who takes technical shots? Is he a a very good shooter who's most comfortable at, off the dribble? Is he um, somebody who can be used to um, you know uh, run off screens? Can you use him as a as an off ball gravity threat and then flow that into um, off the dribble stuff. I think these are these are really interesting questions and, and ones that by having another elite guard prospect, um, the team can can explore. Um, so it, it's certainly an interesting context and, and one that I don't want to say I was worried about, but like I just want to see Hardy. I, I like to see guys in as many different as many different um, contexts as possible, and by pairing him with with another on ball creator. We're certainly going to see a different tenor than, than what we've seen from him previously. Yeah, for sure. I will say, so I love, I love Scoot Henderson uh, and, and we're not going to dive too much into him because he's not a 2022 guy. Um, but I think, uh, I think it, uh, Jake Rosen did a really excellent piece on Scoot. Um, I think that's who did it. Uh, if not, yep. I'll, I'll find it and, yes, yes. and link it. Uh, but it was really, it was really great. And uh, that sort of explains all the, why this, savant is playing in the g league two years early uh, i worry a little bit that he's not going to get minutes not out of like like um like whether or not he's earned them just out of purely uh there's guys on this team who are expecting to be in the nba next year and he just literally can't be so um we'll, we'll see uh, how that goes. i i would say that uh, an anecdotal uh, a story from summer league is that I saw somebody walking down the stairs um, who, you know, had had three chains on was was about like six four, six five, and I thought it was Ant, and it turns out it was Scoot. That's how, like he's put on a, a like he is very big and strong now, and I think that there's a low likelihood that no matter what this G League season looks like in terms of schedule, in terms of teams played, that they're just not going to leave a dude with that kind of talent on the bench because that's not serving him particularly well. Um, but it's also that like he has a skill set that is not necessarily replicated by the other players. Um, this isn't a, you know, uh, sitting uh, having a shooter behind another shooter or you know having a, a big pop big behind another big pop big. Like he has a unique skill set relative to this roster, and that that skill set does unlock development pathways for the guys that will be playing. So yes, he is a, an extra year away, um, but many of the his talents and, and the way that they can be used and, and paired with other guys um, would allow more beneficial combinations than playing the uh, auto eligible guys together uh, automatically. Uh, I think that's fair. I, and I think that's definitely the hope. Um, so the other like top RSCI guy on this team, I believe he was the first to commit to play for the GLI in this class is Michael Foster. Um Michael Foster is just really um, interesting. Uh, I, I haven't fully got a grasp on, on what he is. He's dropped in the rankings. I, there was a time, I believe he was top like five or, or eight or something. And he's now around 20. Um, PD, what are your thoughts on Foster? What are your thoughts on the G league path for him? Um, yeah. Foster has always been somebody who uh, like dominated his age group. Um, just, bigger, stronger, faster, um, more decisive, um, you know, had a very clear understanding of what he was and, and especially, uh, you know, his freshman and sophomore year of high school, just flashed this like, you know, 
combination of size and shooting that, that you know, uh, leaves an impression. And I think that through the back end of high school, there's been much more settling. Um, I think there's some degree of, of that physical difference not quite being as uh, as advantageous as it was previously. Um, and the shooting has fallen off a touch, I would say relative to where it was, like it, the expectation of where it would be. He is sort of a, a guy who plays in the mid post uh, and, and can pop to three, um, probably more of like, uh, like just to, to think of style, it's probably closer to like a Morris brother in terms of approach. Um, but he's like a, a much better rebounder um, and, and a, I would say much better athlete. Um, I think that for him, it's going to come down to the connecting skills. And it's sort of a, a similar value proposition to Isaiah Todd last year, um, who I think had a, an early dip in, in expectation before rising has the shooting and uh, clarity of what NBA role would be for him uh, bloomed in the last like say seven, five or five or seven G League games. So I think that it's going to be a, a relatively similar um, uh, offensive proposition and defensively it's just figuring out exactly what he is between like sort of being a, a, a combo forward, being a four or five tweener or being a straight five. Um, that is certainly something that I'm curious about. Um, and uh, this roster does leave the opportunity for that to play out. Um, you know, finding, finding G League level bigs to, to, you know, to play next to him, to, to see how that archetype develops and, and what is currently feasible or what you know, looks feasible in, in his NBA stint is, I think, one of the stories of this G League roster um, and, and stories of this G League from a developmental perspective. Yeah, I mean, this G League roster is clearly lower on, like, the, the um, RSCI ranking talent, but I actually think it's way more interesting for development. <laughs> Uh, sorry, my dog is barking. And with that being said, uh, I want to throw it to Stone really quickly because I know this is his guy. Can you introduce us a little bit to Dyson Daniels? Yeah. Um, Dyson Daniels is a guy, obviously, like Bryce said, I'm super in on. Um, he's super strong. I believe he's like around 6'6 six, six or so, maybe 6'5. Um, and he's uh, he, he's good at a lot of things um, outside of maybe consistent shooting um like he's a really strong defender um off ball i actually i think he's a good defender in the fact in the sense that he makes the right gambles at the right time even though the awareness isn't always necessarily there um and then i think he's a pretty solid creator um for himself and others um at least average uh and then finishing wise they really like what he can do um he's super he's well built very strong so he he if he can attack on a more consistent basis i think um there's a lot of um there's a lot of potential with him in that in that area um the the shooting like i said is the concern mechanically mostly because it's just a very slow release and a lot of funky weird stuff going on with it but um he shows a lot of flashes of touch especially on floaters which is always a good sign. Um, it's not completely broken by any means. So, um, <clears throat> but I did want to ask PD, what, like, um, how do you see him on this Ignite team? Because now that you have Scoot and now that you have 
um, Hardy there, where is Dyson sort of the odd man out, or do they try and run uh, smaller three guard lineups because Dyson is um, such a, a bigger built guard? Um, how do you see his role sort of playing on this team? I mean, I think that you can go three guard. I think that you will have lineups where it'll be him and, and Hardy, him and, and Scoot. Um, I, I think that some of the struggle with him is that I would say similar to, to Salas, his handle is just not to the level that you would want. And for a guy who is as athletic as he is, he just struggles to get all the way to the cup consistently in the half court. Um, he's really good at getting like these weird funky finishes, but just uh, there's still uh, a development happening there. He scores, he scored relatively efficiently um, across uh, across his uh, like youth career and and Biba and stuff, but it's not on like the exact diet that you would want for a guy like him. Um, getting almost the cup not, you know, all the way there. Um, the shooting has gotten a lot better. Um, I, I think that I was prepared for the shooting to be wonkier. And I came away from, from my deep dives on him really pleasantly surprised. Um, I think that the defensive work rate and the, the ability to create offenses is, is, I think, where he's going to hang his hat early as he sort of feels out a more opportunistic scoring role um, while developing the handle. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, and I do like his fit here with this roster. Um, she's discovered the magic of, of boxes today. So I think that's where this is coming from. Um, sorry. Uh, so I want to talk just really quickly about um, sort of the two guys who are brought in to kind of be role players on this team. Uh, and that's Fanbo Zhang. I, I hope I said that right. I really apologize Zhang, if yeah. I did. Zhang. Okay. Fanbo Zhang. And uh, <laughs> my guy, Marjan Bochamp. Um, Marjan Bochamp is even extra special to me because not only is he just a PNW guy, but he is from where I'm from. Uh, the Yakima Valley and uh, his family is huge here. Um, and it's good to see him finally get on a stage where I can really watch him play. Uh, he played at YVC this past year. And uh, that was surreal because I could have played at YVC. Um, so it was, it's kind of nuts to think like I might've been on that same team, but anyways, um, Marjon is really interesting as just a super long sort of wing uh, who has really yet to develop as a passer, but has some moments of shift and some moments of shot making. Uh, and then Fanbo, I'll be honest. You're being, you being very, very underrating of Marjon. Um, okay. I think, I'm, I'm trying more, to be, I think it is more than some for both of those two things. Okay. So I, that's, I'm very happy that PD gets to be the one because I was, I'm like scared of being too high on him. Uh, and the Fanbo, I haven't seen a lot of, he looks like a solid athlete, a uh, solid rebounder. Um, but it's, I haven't, I haven't seen anything that really stands out of him, but, but PD, if, if you're willing, just please give us the Marjon spiel. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, Marjon has had, uh, a sort of strange, uh, past couple of years, uh, more than sure. He's had a very strange couple of years. I mean, COVID has obviously damaged, um, so many people's, uh, journeys um to professional basketball and and you know he was a guy who played in, in the grind session as a senior and i thought was in my eyes like a five-star prospect um with his length with the shift with with the shooting development he had you know i saw him go toe-to-toe with jalen green um for shot making as like jalen green was having that extreme spike and enough triple shot making from three and to me this was a guy i was like strongly considering to be a first round pick last year um he decided against college and uh, spent a year training, and then you know about halfway through the year, um, I think that, that 
that entity um, stopped existing, um, uh, you know, partially due to the pandemic. Um, and then went to community college and now is, is enrolling in the Dealey pathway. I mean, I think that he is uh, in a lot of ways for the uh, lineups that maybe don't have as much ball handling or decision making, having a, a wing who can uh, handle the ball and make, you know, can it can be a dribble pass shoot wing, but like a creative dribble pass shoot wing is, is extremely valuable. Um, and a guy that I've always been high on and, and I'm excited to see how this particular, like this, this roster build works very well for him. Um, and then uh, Fambo is uh, somebody that I, I have been a long-term fan of. Uh, Fambo was, was committed to Gonzaga before he chose to go to the G League route. Um, he is a really good athlete, like uh, in, in a straight line. Um, he is also like, I think the, uh, the like prototypical Chinese forward. He's just like, is on a hundred at all times. He's trying to dunk every possession. He's trying to, you know, go hard every possession. Um, but I think that he's going to be used as sort of a, a slashing four. Um, you know, he's, he's big enough to play probably the four in a lot of these positions and, and attack closeouts or, or, you know, execute 45 cuts when, when you have a, a slot pick and roll or whatever. Um, so a, a guy that does certainly fill these roles, but I think has a bit more shot creation um, than he would probably be cre given credit for. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, if we're talking about filling out a back end of, of a roster with interesting guys who will fill roles but also have upside plays, this would be this would be pretty high on my list. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love this roster construction. I just want to ask you really quickly, PD, like how do you view uh, Jang as a passer? Um, do you think he is above average? Do you think the development curve looks good there? Like, like, what do you think of him as, as a playmaker, not just as like an athlete going a hundred all the time? Oh, I'm, I think I liked it. Didn't love it. Um, you know, a, a lot of times uh, when I saw him, he was just capable of, of picking, popping and, and making a good read of the, of the footwork um, to, to get downhill. And if there were kickouts, there were kickouts. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a guy who runs pick and roll, at least for right now. Um, uh, much more of a north-south athlete than a sideways athlete. So, like the wheel is, you know, uh, on you know, it, it's not particularly there. But I like his ability to pick out, you know, one mores and and sometimes make second level reads on hard closeouts. Um, you know, where it wouldn't it would be understanding that the stunt is coming to the one more, so you know, you you skip to one over. That that was solid, and if you can do that consistently on this team, then that's an extremely valuable. Um, that's an extremely valuable player for this roster construction. As, Absolutely. Go ahead, Stone. I was just going to say, as someone who I, I haven't really seen any of, of uh, Fambo, um, how, I'm really hoping or I'm excited to see him with Ignite. But how would you um, compare him to like Howen Guo, who we saw in the, um, the uh, pre draft process? where he was actually pretty interesting to me in terms of the athleticism, like you're, you're mentioning with Fambo, but like um, he seemed like very reckless in terms of his drives and um, careless at times. Is Fambo more refined in, in terms of his athleticism and how he uses it, or is he still kind of like a, a bull in a china shop type player? No, I mean, he's on the skinnier side. Um... Fambo is, and it's not like it's not necessarily reckless. I think there's quite a bit of like stridiness to it. Um, I was just more, you know, rather than speaking to like the, the physicality of it, just like the mentality of like, oh, I'm going to get downhill and no one's going to stop me. Um, it's very, 
uh, I would say like similar to like what high school Kevin Knox was like in terms of like the movement skills um, where he would like when getting downhill, he was he was one like very excited to put his shoulder down against, you know, Florida competition. And then he would also had a stride counter. Um, I would say rangier than you would probably expect for, for a guy who's that size and, and you know, is a North South, North South athlete. But I, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't veer into recklessness that often. That being said, in the games that I saw, he wasn't necessarily being boxed into corners where he had to find a whole bunch of counters. He was just making pretty consistently good or good advantage. So I, I don't think that I have a far enough, far enough scout in the like six or seven games. Um, or I can speak to what happens when he can't get that corner and has to find a, you know, multiple different solutions uh, to a problem. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I did. I was concerned about this roster construction, starting with where it started. Like Foster and Hardy aren't necessarily the most movable chess pieces. They're kind of players who are what they are, the archetypes they are. Um, and the rest of the roster building around it has been really positive. And, and, and I think that it's unlocked a lot of the concerns that I may have had building around those two as the first two pieces. Um, and I think gotten a, a pretty seamless fit out of, um, out of the rest of the guys that they've had with from those two as a starting point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm just really hopeful to see Marjon uh, ball out. Uh, he has personally dropped a 50 burger on me. So um, I, I just, uh, just, is this just a, a, a way of you slowly getting out your PTSD? Uh, it's, um you have no idea but anyways um we i i we've been at this for a long time and this has been incredible but i think i just want to end it by i want to i want to ask everyone to sort of pick one or two sort of under the radar one and done guys uh that, that really interest you uh coop i'm going to throw it to you first i'm i'm going to be honest i've not you know i'm not fully I've, i plugged in about as much as i could for this pod but I'm not like super plugged into a bunch of high school stuff yet. That's something I'm still working on. So I'm going to go with someone who I think could be, you know, a really interesting second year guy. Uh, definitely not biased at all. I'll go with uh, Tremont Mark uh, out of U of H. <laughs> yes. Now we are speaking my language. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Tremont Mark guy. Uh, just, you know, he's, he's a U of H like a, I'm not saying like he's a U of H player. He is a U of H player. He can, you know, he's a great team rebounder, shoots the ball. He's uh, maybe not well all the time, but, <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll give it a little go. He plays up. He's Or, uh, you know, someone who's as skinny as he is, he, you know, plays a bit bigger. Uh, you know, I, I can never, I can never, go again like not take the chance to talk about Tremont Mark but you've you've chosen very well uh, as yeah. a as a long time Tremont Mark believer um I'm very here for uh his rise and and uh and taking advantage of, of the guards of this class to 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 elevate himself into uh a prospect uh you know a, a high level prospect here that's I'm I'm very supportive of that I will also say that Cooper and I share a, a similar affinity for, for the work of Kelvin Sampson, uh, as he is a, a Houston yep. Cougar and I am a Washington State Cougar. Uh, Kelvin did have like a ton of success here or anything, but I just love to see Coo succeed. I will forever be a Virginia fan because of that. 
Um, but Stone, I want to hear your sort of under the radar one and done, or you know, Coop didn't do a one and done, so you don't have to do a one and done. So just I'm sort of under the radar guy that really catches your attention. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, since the floodgates have been opened by Cooper now, there's there's so many options to go with, but um, I'll I'll go, I'll do it. I'll go with Brandon Podziemski um, of Illinois. As you hear my dog barking now, it's contagious. Um, but he is um, a really really good shooter. Um, I think he knows how to maximize his shooting. Um, he I, I don't know necessarily if the plan is for him to be um a guy that is going to be a one and done like i think most likely he's probably going to be a two three year guy but um if there is a chance where he is a one and done i think he's going to be um someone you want him to work on handle defensively you want him to put in some more work but um the, the shooting is really what's interesting and sort of on a on another like smaller note for me would be nigel pack um he's a guy who i've had my eye on for a while as a a shooter who um if he can take a step forward this year um i think as more of a versatile shooter can really have um a a chance of getting drafted this year so um that's sort of my little um fan favorite there yeah uh, pd did a great write-up of podziemski uh where he also wrote about amani bates and um that was, I can't remember which one that was. PD, you can, you I can. Number, uh, I think that's number three, but I, I think uh, so. It's, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, that was. I think that was the first thing when I first subscribed you to Patreon. That was the first thing I ever like was on, and that was that would have been probably January of yeah, uh, twenty one. So yeah. Anyways, um, so PD, I want to. You have a group of guys that you can go ahead and just kind of give. Uh, a little a little snippet of all of them so so go ahead yeah i didn't know that we also got to include um guys who maybe be, be two and duns which would open up this list even more um i have i would say a a good group of guys um i tried to not go for you know some of the more uh, obvious ones so um, like the I, I guess starting just from the top I, i'm really interested in the dayton wing freshman of, of darren holmes and, and caleb washington caleb might be more of a um like a two-year guy um and they're both just like they play in Dayton Dayton has a, a great scheme it has a great developmental staff you know they're both are in archetypes that um are very NBA valuable and uh depending on you know a little bit of the shooting a little bit of the ball skills it's, it's a matter of, of when um they're NBA guys to me rather than than if um and because of Dayton's just overall success level, there's just going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of extra accelerant on on their stock. You know, a team uh, one of, if you're the best freshman on a team that's like you know a top fifteen in the country, you just get a couple more looks. Um, uh, if we want to dig a little bit, uh, Wesley Carde uh, or Carde is um, uh, going to Samford. Uh, he is a a team uh, a high school teammate of the Buleys uh, of Overtime Elite, um, and he picked uh, uh, Samford over like high majors. Um, and uh, probably my favorite, like I'm going to be checking in on his stat lines on a nice nightly basis. Um, just so that they Samford plays really fast, so uh, in general plays a little bit higher pace, and. Uh, 
Paredes is, is a guy who like is kind of you know a, like a, a wingish guy who is a powerful athlete who has more ball skills and, and the guy who impressed me every single time that, that I would watch for the Buleys and, and uh, somebody who I would have ranked much higher than the recruiting services uh, seem to have had him in, in the cycle. Um, and I think it's just going to be a guy who, if you are, you know, more stats minded or doing queries for, you know, interesting guys at, at, a, at a mid-major level, you're going to keep circling back and be like, okay, there's something here. Um, let's see, uh, Jeremy Sochan from Baylor. Um, probably has a penalty for playing overseas for his his previous year. Was it Lalamir previously? I think that there's a real chance um, that his just overall goodness and his ability to to like you know dole on on offense and defense and, and consistently uh, consistently make make the right decision to move better than you would expect to to make defensive impacts larger than his, I think, six, eight size. Um, and Baylor is just going to, I think Baylor will play him more than, than an overall ranking would, would anticipate. And a guy who just given their success with plugging guys into the NBA, I think does well. Um, another main major guy is Tafar Kapare, I believe it's how you say the last name, um, who is at George Washington, um, a, a really fun wing movement skills guy. Um, and somebody who I am overall excited to see how much leash he is given because I like he's very much a creator and throws uh, some fun passes. Um, uh, I, I I think early on I'm excited to see how um, how guys who are in like minor conferences do more than you know the the third highest ranked freshman at, at a Power Five school. Um, but if we were to like, you know, maybe look at, at, at some of the guys who jump out from the, you know, uh, mid locals at, at power fives and stuff. Um, uh, I love Jemima Shack. Um, that's going to be, uh, I think a, a step into the Jaden, uh, Jaden Springer, uh, Tennessee Bulldog, uh, at, at point of attack who will defend more wings than is like six four or six five listed size, um, and uh, yeah, uh, we also Kessler Edwards in with rotations, and this is another Atawanda uh, defender. Uh, bet against that at your own uh, at your own risk. Um, Justice Williams at LSU was interesting. I don't know if he's a one and done. I think it's more of a, a two and done because uh, you know Gaines is there. They have um, they have uh, transfers coming since he they they brought back. A good part of their core, but certainly the one to keep an eye on. He reclassed up from from 2022, and he was a teammate of Jalen Turin, uh, both in Philly and in Auburn. Um, certainly a, a guy who has a, a potential long term impact about his like 55th overall, um, 24/7. Um, Cooper, you broke you you broke you broke PD. Um... I'm so, sorry. I just, I love Tremont Mark way too much. I, that is, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to talk about Tremont Mark. <laughs> I, um, I love Tremont Mark too. And I love Houston. Uh, go ahead, PD. Sorry. Yeah. The last two I'll say for like the guys who maybe won, maybe two and done uh, Arthur Kaluma um, from, from dream city going to, to Creighton um, is, you know, a, a high level uh, uh, is a high level mover um, in a, in a mid-major setting um 
and Creighton's offense is awesome. And I'm excited to see how those two interact. Um, I'm not certain how NBA people feel about the overall ball skills, um, but there's certainly a lot of interest there. I think in, in, in that particular action, I mean, like Dayton and, and Creighton have a few fun, um, have a few fun guys that like could pop um, if everything goes well. And then I think the, the last one, I think I probably lean more towards uh, one done uh, is Bryce McGowns uh, in Nebraska. Um, I guess six five shootery guy. Um, I think uh, sort of a two guard in the like Bradley Beal idea um, in terms of like styling and then also like the the shot making and wanting to to leverage the shot making to run everything through. Um, the strength is going to be a, a, a I think a hit point that, that determines whether he is a one-and-done, a two-and-done, um, and then what level of usage he'd have in the league. But certainly a guy I'm interested in in, in seeing how this goes, uh, uh, you know, the, the new, the new fun Nebraska. Hey, so, hey, Delano Banton, I think, carried Nebraska in terms of fun last year, so. Yeah. <laughs> um. I like Bryce McGowan's a lot, actually. I if he, if I were to pick one of like any of the guys we've mentioned who I think might end up being a top ten pick, uh, I think that probably might be what Bryce McGowan's. I think um, he could have a real serious rise uh, if he gets a lot of usage in Nebraska and is semi efficient as a jump shooter with his size. Um, <laughs> so I'm just I'm you know Cooper did it. I'm going to mention two guys, both of which are uh, going to WSU, and I, I just can't help myself. Uh, one is is a two-and-done. That's F.A. Abagidi. Um, he is has one of the more interesting statistical profiles of, of any yes, returner. Um, super high block rate, uh, and he shot a lot of threes. The efficiency on those... It's just sort of, it, the first it half of the year, yeah. the first yeah. half of the year, when the first we were, half of the year, when, it was when, great. When WSU was playing a cake, a, a cake, like, like I cannot describe to you how bad their non-conference schedule was last year because this was the youngest WSU team uh, that there's ever been. And we purposely set it up to have this awful non-conference and get all these dudes used to things. And then the second, the second FA got used to uh, like got a, a real closeout from a, from a like real NCAA athlete, he was like, Oh, you know, and he couldn't, he didn't really know what to do. Uh, but he is like he's probably only like six eight, and I, I. But I would guess he has a as a solidly plus wingspan, really really athletic. I mean, like he did not have a, a good passer next to him. I mean, Andre Yakimovsky, but uh, I don't know why he didn't play more with the ball in his hands. But that's a tale for another day. Uh, you know, Isaac Bonton not a good passer, but you could see the moments where when Isaac when when Bonton did pass, like he could get up for lobs. He is a really impressive athlete. Uh, good feel for uh, for blocking shots, though. I will say, like his his help instincts, if he's not playing the five, are pretty pretty poor. Uh, he played a lot with Deshaun Jackson, who was almost on Team USA this year. But uh, when he was when he was the nominal four, Abogidi was not a good shot blocker. But when he got to play the straight up five, when guys were funneling into him, uh, he got to everything, and he really looked impressive there. Um, 
what level of prospect he's going to be, I don't know. It's hard for me to take uh, my bias out of there a little bit. I, he, he does not have a lot of ball skills. He's not really like a, a passer at all. Uh, but that the potential to be a three and D center, while I know it's something that, that can occasionally sort of get um, uh, maligned by, by uh, people who think it's overvalued. I think there's still a lot of value in that and, and a real three and D center who can, who can space the floor and block shots. I think that greases the wheels for, for your general creators. There's some potential there. And then the other guy, and this, he's almost like certainly going to be more of a two and done, um, but it's Muhammad gay. Uh, there is a chance he goes one and done, but he is a really good athlete at six eleven, and not just a really good athlete in the like Abu Gidi sense where he gets up uh, and he runs a little bit. Like he moves solidly. He's, pretty fluid um and then the jump shot looks really good uh there's been a lot of development on that this past year like he went from not really a jump shooter to a somewhat consistent jump shooter who looks pretty comfortable with it um he is a legit 611 too like he is solidly two three inches taller than abogidi uh i've literally seen them standing next to each other so uh, i can tell you that and um i i, I think gay is just a really interesting prospect. He reminds me a lot of Kai Jones, probably not quite that level of athlete. Very few people are, uh, you know, and it took Kai Jones a couple of years too. So it might for him, but uh, the difference is that WSU is not the program Texas is and gay will probably start immediately. And uh, Kyle Smith is all about defensive habit creation. That's his whole thing. Uh, he wants you to like, he, he, if you're like a manager for the team, you keep track of in practice, like, if you touch the ball defensively, like if you get a deflection, if you get a block, whatever it is. Um, so I think gay can do that. I think he's going to get minutes for that. So uh, PD, I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of those guys, but uh, th- those are the two that really interest me from, from my uh, alma mater, I suppose I'll say uh, Noah Williams too, but, but that's. Um, yeah. I'm, he, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a EP guy. Um, I, I thought he was pre-draftable this year. Um Obviously, the the step up in, in the two levels, the, the step down from the first half of the year to the second half is a concern. Um, but uh, certainly something that I think is a, is a really interesting combination of skills and, and something that's valuable. I do have one last name um, for a guy who I do not think is a one and done, or I don't think I could be, but is probably one of my favorite like long-term projects in this class. Um, and also probably is one of the most fun players in the class. Um, and that's Wuga. Um, who's Nassim Wuga Poplar from, uh, who's going to Miami this year. He's like really new to basketball, um, but he's very shifty, very explosive, and has a really good feel for uh, for passing at like 6'5". Um, it's probably going to take a little bit of time for, for a lot of the stuff to, to click together. But like he's, if you were an Eric Gaines guy, you're going to love Wuga. Because like Wuga is he's like a bigger, sort of stronger, you know, less of a um, less of like of the like shift and thinness that that Gaines has specifically, but is in the same vein and is ultra fun. Um, can't recommend uh, watching that highlight tape or just tuning in to the uh, the late uh, Miami stuff. I don't know exactly how much run he's going to get, but it's super fun. Yeah, if it clicks, it clicks. Yeah, yeah, and what? And I mean, if you do any guard highlight 
scouting tape or when I do it, I, I use your heuristic and he's definitely like the show me the special, like, yeah. Uh, about 10 seconds. You're like, Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Like this dude, like, like he is like, he is just very shifty. Um, and it's so funny when that's just sort of a natural thing. Um, yeah. you know, like, cause I feel like candle is, is often thought of as a, as a skill, and I think there are times that it is it is more an innate talent, but uh, that would probably take us to another debate. We'd be here another thirty minutes. We will not will do say that. Last, oh, last quick things on real good because we're already there. Uh, it's really rare that you get guys. I, I think it's pretty rare to get a guy like in the one twenties who has the specific offer combination that he has. Like he had Auburn, you know, Georgia, and I think that there is a lot there. It's also really interesting to get guys who are really shifty, but also have like a ton of vertical pop. Like, and his shift is strange because, like, at times he looks like a person who's very new to basketball. And then he'll, like, break out a two-move combination where, like, you'd think that, you know, uh, that's not how people move. And the one-foot explosion, like, is reminiscent of Ant-Man sometimes, just with the amount of force he generates and how long he's able to stay in the air. Uh, it doesn't, you know, have the, the build. Um, he's not, he's nowhere near as getting his teens, but, like, He's not, he doesn't look like a, you know, a, a flying uh, strong safety like, like Ant-Man does. But yeah, uh, extremely fun combination of stuff. Excited to see how it develops. But yeah, um, a guy that I watched a lot of uh, in the 2021 class and I wrote about it a couple of times just to uh, really understand like where I thought the best development situation would be for him. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the perfect way to end a pod with PD because uh, we just, I mean, we just got to hear one of the best amateur basketball minds out there um, nerd out for, for like 30 solid minutes on random prospects who um, are probably a couple of years away from being real NBA guys. And that's what it's all about. I mean, uh, PD, I'm going to throw it to you to, to plug yourself, but just know like, uh for for all our listeners i'm sure you know pd but his work is seriously the best um one of the best experiences i've had was being on that summer league um the first one i was on the summer league breakdown uh like that was a really that was a really special experience to me i still think i learned so much there so just let people know where they can where they can find all your stuff and and thank you so much for coming on man was the first one the one where we solved josh primo's foot or was that the second one was the second one the first one I did Kessler Edwards. Um, that was that was fun. Kessler's my when guy. Yeah, when you've done, uh, I, no offense or anything, it's just that many of them bleed together. Uh, just to, you know, having to do you know three hours a night. As I, as I can imagine, yeah, I have and no doubt. Again, not that it's a bad thing. It's just it's hard to know where one stream ends and one and another begins. Um, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me above the break three, the, the number three. Um, um, I write um, on Patreon, um, where all of my work uh, is that, that is written. It's always free, um, and uh, I do long form breakdowns on uh, on players' skills and and, and philosophy. Um, I uh, have started to do streams on on Twitch, which I simulcast or or which I put on on YouTube afterwards. Um, usually doing solo prospects in a series that I call Let's Watch Film, but for summer league and, and for the last bit of the draft did, did group streams uh which will continue going forward as, as sort of events where we get groups of people together and talk about a couple of guys for a couple of hours um I, I can't recommend those enough as an experience i did help a lot help me cover as much ground as possible and i'm thankful for everybody who came on um 
Uh, I also do uh, uh, consulting and uh, writing for Cerebro Sports um, as as a uh, it's a, a a data company that that helps to try to provide a, a statistical starting point for you know the, the general process, and we're trying to to do our best to to bring the different sections of basketball into to one place where we can all you know, be on the same page and communicate in a in an easy way and share the knowledge that we have. Um, so yeah, if, if any of that sounds interesting to you, reach out to them or reach out to me. Um, thank you guys so much for having me um, to, to talk about 2022, which is I think going to be an extraordinarily mem memorable draft class. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, as maybe at some point during the season, we can have you back on and talk about, uh, go back through these teams and, and what we've learned. And then I'd also, at some point, I'd love to have a discussion with as much, you know, I, I try to do AAU scouting, high school scouting, but I, I, I can't, I just don't do as much as you. And I'd love to hear like how you value those, uh, like the, the college tape, the, the tape right before their draft year as compared to what you've seen from their development through high school. But I'm positive that is it. That is another hour plus pod all on its own. So uh, we can't thank PD enough. Um, Coop is at Cooper underscore Rockets. Uh, he is excellent, a great follow. And uh, the transition from him into draft work has been really fun to watch. This is going to be his first full uh, draft cycle with us. Uh, Stone is at report underscore court. Uh, just the best to do it. Uh, I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Uh, this has been the Upside Swings Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.